This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. galaxies we hear, the we've so down I can see you're so sincere. Season two, episode nine, and hey, Brianne, welcome. Hey, thank you. <laughs> so I am Kara Borkowski, one of your co-hosts, and my esteemed colleague, I'm going to say it again, Brianne, Dr. Brianne Roos. Um, we have, I don't know, it's been a really fun season so far. I can't believe we're, we're at episode nine already. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that actually is like under, under counting because we've done a couple of shorts and introduced our new song, which... I don't know about our audience, but um, I really do like it more every time I listen. I don't know how you feel about it, Rianne. Oh, the same way. Um, you had mentioned in the intro that you hear more each time, and I, I agree. So yeah. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. So thanks again to Darcy and Susie for putting that together for us this summer. So we have another interview this week with, I'm really excited, Danielle Scarano. She joined us, and she is a big believer and really, I'll say, liver liver of, uh, lives authentically in her ideas of belonging. She's also a really big Brene Brown fan, so it was always fun to, to talk to her. And if I remember correctly, Brianne, you and Danielle have a, a link that we just we do. heard. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. <laughs> which is, which is fun. So it's always good to find connections in all sorts of ways. So in this episode, we, gosh, I feel like we unpacked so much with Danielle in this episode. We talked about belonging. I really loved, um, Brianne, how she talked about the intersection of her core values. And even during this pandemic, she's really working hard to live out her core values and, and be authentic. The other thing I really appreciated, and I'm sure you picked up on it as well, given our interest in this learner mindset, is I felt like she continued to emphasize how important it is to be a continual learner. Um, mm -hmm. And that she, I felt like she said, and you'll hear in the interview in a few minutes, that she really does view herself as a learner, um, even when she's in the classroom with students, that she's, you know, again, especially in the pandemic with these, all these new experiences she's having. So I really, I really loved that. Um, the other thing she mentioned, and we'll, we'll get into it, we'll dig into it in a few minutes in the uh, interview itself is, and I've heard this before, but I haven't heard it recently, is the, the idea of presence being a present, right? And mm -hmm. just showing up, right? We, 
we sort of joked, I don't know about you with your students, uh, Brianne, but I've been joking with uh, students and colleagues that some days just showing up, I feel like that's my success for the day, right? <laughs> Check that off yes. the to-do list. <laughs> yeah, and actually it's funny, you know, I, I don't, recall ever thanking students for coming to class face to face yeah. but that's how i start every single online class now i just say thank you for coming it's so nice to see mm -hmm. you and i really mean it yeah. and i sometimes that's half the battle right now it's just finding the motivation and you know kind of the organization to get there absolutely yeah i do the same thing i often do it at the end of the the zoom call and i've even noticed i just finished grading a stack of papers this week and i started each sort of paragraph saying you know thanks for you know doing the assignment and, and contributing your work because it, it is i mean it's i don't know it's a lot just to ask them to to be present so i love this sort of present and present um yeah so i i love that she reminded us of how important it is just to show up for ourselves for our colleagues and for our students um yeah so i hope that i know i don't even hope i know that everybody who listens will enjoy this interview we had a great conversation and as awkward as it feels, Brianne, I know we're trying to, we've, we've, we've added new cover art, we've added a song, and now to be even more official, I'm going to ask our audience members if they have a moment to please rate the show, because we know that in the world of podcasting, this is a way to get more play and get more people listening. So if you have a moment, if you're listening, I know especially on iTunes, if you listen, if you'll just give us a quick rating, we would really appreciate it. So we hope you enjoy this episode, episode nine of season two with Danielle Scarano. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome back to Tell Me This, an episode about belonging, building community. And in this season, we are lucky enough to be speaking with all kinds of educators, leaders, superintendents, teachers. And in the coming months, we'll be talking to some parents and some families about how they're managing education in this crazy pandemic. I know I'm not doing a great job, so I'm hoping to learn some lessons from those families. And I am super excited to welcome Danielle. And I'm gonna say, I'm, you know, I'm gonna say your last name wrong, so I want you to say it so I don't pronounce it wrong, please. Okay, I was gonna say give it a try, but it's Scarano. Scarano, see, I would have, I probably would have butchered it, so I'd rather you say it. So Danielle has graciously uh, agreed to be on our podcast, and I'm, I'm always joined, of course, by Dr. Brianne Roos. So hi, Brianne. Hey, how are you? <laughs> She's shaking her head at me because I called her doctor. I, I have to get that in somehow. It's you, you earned it and you got to live with it for a little while. So I know Danielle will want us all to call her doctor when she graduates uh, next summer, hopefully. So fingers crossed, right, Danielle? Absolutely. Yeah, you had a big summer, finished your comps. Woohoo! That's a big it deal. It was a breath of fresh air. I mean, it was, it was something that we were preparing for for so long and Kudos to my team because I had the dream team of um, study partners. Mm, and definitely. as soon as the end of August hit, we were just, it was just a breath. We can move on um, and exhaust. I mean, comps are stressful, stressful enough, but then yeah. adding a international pandemic was a little bit of a twist that I wasn't yeah. expecting, but 
Absolutely. <laughs> and everybody in your group passed. So that's always good too. When yes. you can all celebrate together. So, so Danielle, you're a doctoral student. We've said that at Johns Hopkins, where many of our guests come from, and you're in the entrepreneurial leadership specialization where your dissertation, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that today, focuses on individualized coaching for new reading teachers. You are currently the research and development director at the Winward Institute. That's a new position for you, right? It is. I yeah. started September 1st. I know. Big congrats on that. Thank you. And you're the host of the Read Podcast, where she explores topics related to reading education, learning disabilities, and child development. If you haven't tuned into that one, I highly recommend it. It's a good one for your running or whatever you do when you listen to podcasts. In her spare time, she loves to practice yoga, meditate, as well as read books by inspiring leaders. And I can attest to her yoga practice because I feel like every time that Danielle and I plan a meeting she's either running to yoga from yoga getting on a bike going for a run so i can definitely attest to your 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 myriad activities so so thanks so much for coming um on the podcast daniel it's good to good to see you again thank so. you for having me and i will say my most memorable carrie borkowski um meeting uh -oh. <laughs> when i was at in hudson yards right below the vessel oh, those yeah. you don't know in new york and i popped my ipad up just, just met you, Carrie, and you're like, yes. where are you in the world? And I just, you know, so it's a little bit of fun and it a is. lot of activity. That's right. It's become sort of a running joke. Where in the world is Danielle every time yeah. we talk? So it's kind of fun. So we always try to start out the podcast. We just want to check in with our guests. This is, as you mentioned, a pandemic. And so how are you holding up in this just crazy time? Well, I saw something actually interesting. I saw a picture on Instagram, maybe, or Twitter this morning. And it said, um, if you thought you knew me prior to 2020, you didn't. And I thought it was funny. And at the same time, I thought, wow, you know, looking back in the last six months has been life-changing. Mm. Um, you know, physically, I did have COVID back in March. I was one of the early people that got it in New York right before it shut down. And I was lucky physically um, compared to what's been happening. I mean, 200,000 deaths in the United States is something that I just, you wake up and you can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. um, so for that, I was lucky. However, there was a big break in when I had COVID where I wasn't able to exercise and exercise for me is a stress release. So it was difficult. It was isolating. Um, but I have to say, luckily, um, everything has, has worked out and I've, was able to sort of sit with my thoughts and be mm -hmm. still in these past months. And that for me was the biggest, um, some of the biggest lessons that I learned. Nice. And it's, it's interesting. I hadn't forgotten that you had COVID, but I have to be honest, it feels like forever ago mm -hmm. that you told me you had it. So um, thanks for that reminder. So you kind of segued nicely. So as you, as you had some moments to sit with your thoughts, and I know just from speaking with you, you do a lot of reflecting and thinking about things. You seem to be a deep thinker, um, which I've always appreciated about you. So we're really curious to hear, you know, when you hear the word belonging, you know, what is that, what is that term? What's, what's the conception of belonging for you? Well, just to give you a little backstory on that, yes, I am a deep thinker. <laughs> and when I first received this question, I had three different notebooks writing my notes and one notebook was, you know, in bullet points, another notebook was pictures. And then the third notebook that ended up making it to my notes on my iPad was a little more succinct. But, you know, when I think of belonging, it's not an easy concept to define. Um, I see it as 
very fluid, as multifaceted and multi-layered. Um, there's this aspect of individual belonging and collective belonging. Mm. Um, I know we'll probably name drop Brene Brown a lot, <laughs> um, but when I read one of her recent books, she had quoted Maya Angelou about mm. belo- belonging to yourself. And I don't want to butcher the quote and I wish I had it with me, but the concept of it is that you'll never truly belong. You're, you belong, but you're never also truly belonging at the same time. Mm. And when I first read that in, in Brene Brown's book, I had the initial reaction that she had was like, what, what is Maya Angelou even talking about? <laughs> and it came to around this time around COVID-19 pandemic, where I finally realized what, what that quote meant. And right now, as I think about reflecting, um, there's this aspect of individual belonging, really belonging to yourself. And then also that, which, you know, really fundamentally speaks to the relationship with yourself, the connection with yourself, more of that introspective mm-hmm. um, look. And then there's also the aspect of belonging within the collective and how do you speak your truth, live authentically in a, in a place where you can collectively belong? How do you speak in accordance to your values that um, are really important to you? And for me, you know, belonging really does place this high emphasis on values and this concept of shared values. So I'll start with that um, yeah. and see Great. where we can go with it. I do have other thoughts that I could probably go on for another 20 minutes. But yeah, we, we could probably can. have a, a conversation just on this first question alone. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I have to say, I love that you brought up the Maya Angelou quote, right? It's belonging everywhere and nowhere, right? And it's from that book, Letters um, to Her Daughter. And after I read that same Brene Brown book, and heard her sort of struggle, I went and got the book. I've, I had never read, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit, I'd never read Maya Angelou. And I read that in like, I don't know, it's, it's a very short book, so it didn't take long. And it's one of those quotes where like, you think you get it for a moment, and then you like have another thought and you're like, nope, I don't get it, right? It's like you're on this like tight wire about getting that. So I appreciate that you brought that up. And I love the idea of individual and collective belonging, because I think those two pieces are are really important. So yeah, maybe we'll come back to those for sure. Yeah, I do actually just have to add one point to that. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I've, I've really realized over the past few months, particularly as we are um, in this time period of focusing on Black Lives Matter and, and really with social injustice in the United States, is that, um, love Audible too, <laughs> um, is that, um, you know, there is an inherent privilege that exists in belonging. And for me, when, as part of an institution, I have been very lucky, I would say, to be in institutions where I have been valued for my work and mm-hmm. I've been immediately found a sense of belonging. And that is not always the case, whether it's simple, you know, differences in skin color and race and ethnicity mm-hmm. and gender um, and sexual orientation. Um, and also it could be just in differences in values yeah. or in just how people connect. So I will just say also that it is really important to understand privilege that does come with belonging and how perhaps institutions may shape the way that we see ourselves and how we belong in an institution. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. on to your next question. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I was going to say, Brian, you're awfully quiet because I feel like you've been doing a lot of work in particular with your faculty and students on belonging and, and those issues. So I'd love to hear your I, thoughts. I have. And to be honest, when you started talking about the Maya Angelou book, I was like, oh, Carrie told me to read that. So I opened my Audible account because when I listened to it, I... I love to listen to books. And I was like, I'm certain that she narrated it because I can like feel that voice in my soul. And, but before I said it, I wanted to just confirm it. Mm -hmm. And then the guy's like, this is audible. So sorry (laughs) about that interruption. Um, 
So I actually wanted to talk about that last point that you were making with um, finding the sense of belonging where you work. And this is sort of a, an interesting connection that Danielle and I have. So I work at Loyola University um, where I found a very deep sense of belonging as a student and as a faculty member. And I certainly feel valued there, which is, um, you know, a privilege for sure. And Danielle also went to school there. So we, mm -hmm. we discovered that, um, I don't know, I guess a couple months ago maybe in yeah. preparation for this. I don't remember the context exactly. Oh, a different group that we're in. Um, so that was, that was kind of a nice connection. Danielle, I wanted to move away from belonging a little bit, although not, not entirely, and into this idea that we're talking about this season of an identity of being a teacher and a learner. And wanted to know your thoughts about those. So how does that fit? How do, the, how do those jive for you in your context? Right. Well, I first of all, agree, Brienne, that um, at Loyola, I have sort of Loyola was an experience for me that because of the Jesuit values, because of just finding people that I could belong with and, and really interact with, I, I did find that too. So I'm glad that you did bring that up. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, in terms of learning and teaching, they're both at the intersection of my core values as a person. Mm -hmm. I value learning and I value community. And no matter the number of times that I have assessed my values, whether again, back to Dare to Lead with Brene Brown or just in previous opportunities, I've always centralized by continuously learning and growing and connecting back, grounding myself in a community. Mm -hmm. And this, it could be a cycle. It's almost never linear. Learning and you know, interacting with community can sometimes be messy. Progress mm -hmm. is never linear, right? So, um, I think that's just really important to, to, to keep to mind. But as a teacher, I always identify myself as a learner and it's fluid. It's dualistic. It, they're never one or the other. Um, my identity actually from as a learner and a teacher actually came from my grandma, uh, my grandma B. She's my mom's mom. Um, we delightfully would call her biz because I couldn't pronounce her name when I was younger. So she's still biz. Um, and Carrie, you know, I think we've talked a lot about our relationship yeah. with our grandmas and, mm -hmm. um, you know, this is one that uh, has inspired me in so many ways as a woman, as an educator, but she actually has a, a, a background in theology and history and really loves studying strong women. Mm -hmm. And um, I too also share that, that um, interest. And so I've always come at it with understanding and really gaining new insights and being curious and questioning the status quo to inspire others. So that's where I really see the intersection between learning and teaching is being curious, questioning the status quo and inspiring students to do the same. And, um, you know, just to leave you with this little quick story, as I was thinking about the question, um, when I used to teach, I used to teach fifth grade and eighth grade. Those were my above all favorite grades to teach. And, when I was teaching fifth grade about four or five years ago, my uh, assistant at the time, Sarah, and I um, coined our class the triple L's, the lifelong learners. <laughs> and I then repeated and taught that same grade in eighth grade a couple of years later. And the first day I had the same students, they, they came in and they said, I'm so excited to be a triple L again this year. And that just really speaks to, um, you know, who I am and the communities of people that I tend to surround myself with. So um, it's very dualistic. It's very always fluid and one that I'm never lost in. I'm really always like to ground myself in. Nice. I love that. Cause it sounds like you were really explicit with your students 
and the fact that they come in and they understand that that label applies to them and you is yeah. really, that's great. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you were doing before March. So before you got COVID yourself, before COVID was a thing that we were thinking about, um, fifth and eighth grade we're hearing, and you've had a lot of roles in education, but where were you? What was kind of your role, your context? Yeah, so I um, was a teacher. Um, I, what's interesting, you said that is making the, the beliefs about my students being lifelong learners explicit. That's something that's always been really important to me. Um, I am, or was, just left the classroom actually. Um, I was teaching students at a school for language-based learning disabilities. And these are students that have been told that they're not trying hard enough or mm -hmm. that were in environments where they saw themselves as not being good enough. And that is something that I always emphasize as a teacher from day one is that creating that environment where they owned the community as much as I did and they saw themselves as learners and as, as um, students that were holding those high expectations of themselves and knew that they could set goals and achieve them. And so as a teacher, that was something that was really important to me and one that I was doing before COVID had hit. Um, I was also um, lucky and very fortunate in my position at my school to um, take on a research role. So originally I was the research associate and moved on a little bit more to take on some more research roles. And what that meant really for me was to do things that I loved and that was to learn from experts in the field and translate that into my classroom and the classroom practices of my colleagues. So um, I was both a teacher, a learner, um, really engaging in research and over the past year also started the read podcast, which is the research education advocacy podcast, where it's really the goal is to translate between research and educators so that both researchers, educators, policymakers, parents can all learn in a shared applicable way. So um, doing all of that, and I will say that one of my passion areas is again, uh, women's rights. So um, I had joined the pro board of a nonprofit called Move movement foundation um, meant to really focus on building female empowerment, focusing on body positivity um, through, Carrie said I loved exercise and that was one area that we really like to bring um, movement around with, with girls and women. So a lot of different things that were focused again on the values that I like to embody. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate um, what you're sharing here, Danielle, and what I'm, I'm hearing and noticing is this I keep coming back to your core values, right? This idea of, of integration and lifelong learner. And I think that's something, I point that out because I think that's really important that I appreciate that you're not sort of pigeonholing yourself in one label or one professional role or one personal role. It's that it's your core values and however those manifest themselves. And I didn't know your, I don't know your grandmother, but when I think of my own grandmother, I see that integration too. I hadn't, I hadn't articulated that, but like she was a really strong woman, um, probably arguably before her time, right? She was born in the 20s. So she was definitely supposed to play a role, but she was a super strong woman, super stubborn, but also, and really gentle and really kind and patient. And so that whole notion of integration, it's amazing what, what role models can do for us, right? <laughs> they don't have to say much, just, just be in the world and live their core values. And it sounds like you're giving a real gift to your students by, by sort of, you know, walking in the same way. So bravo to you for that. So um, I want to stay on this topic of pandemic. And again, 
talking pre-pandemic feels so long ago. Um, you know, like March 13th feels like forever ago, even though it's not that long ago. And so one of the reasons we're doing this season, Brianna and I decided was that you can turn on the TV, you can flip through your newsfeed, you can you read your email and find all sorts of ick about the pandemic, right? All the things that have gone wrong are going wrong and continue to go wrong. And what we really want to do is lift up the successes, particularly in education, because I feel like, I don't know, the teachers get a really bad rap, I think, in a lot of this, right? Um, and so I was hoping you could share with us something that during the pandemic, you know, became a challenge for you and your organization for your students and sort of naming that and just talking us through what you've been doing to sort of overcome that and sort of what you've learned that you're using perhaps or will use this fall, if you wouldn't mind sharing. That's a really interesting question. And as I reflect in the last six months, there were a lot of different challenges, both personally and professionally that I was dealing with and really that not just me, but the community itself. Um, as, as I did allude to this before, that the, the personal issues that arose for me was dealing with stress and navigating the world from a place of constant movement. Mm -hmm. And I live in New York. I love the hustle and bustle as much as when I leave um, New York and I appreciate slowing down a little bit, but yeah. it's, I always gravitate that way. And um, it really took a pandemic to really reflect and think about, okay, I need to be still. I need to figure out, um, you know, just how I'm going to navigate this life and this world in a different way. And then how do I also resonate that with my students? Mm -hmm. And in the spring when I was teaching, I first of all had the most amazing class in the world. Like these were students that taught me things I never would have expected. And then when, um, George Floyd was murdered. Um, it also took this moment of instead of just constantly moving and, and thinking to myself, you know, initially when, when that happened, I had thought, okay, I have these eighth graders sitting across from me on a screen and I, I, I need to teach them, you know, as much as I can over the next two weeks. And mm -hmm. I had a student actually emailed me and said, um, you know, Miss Grano, um, is there a way that we can just pause and slow down a little bit? And so that idea of pausing and slowing down and reflecting and giving them more voice and value and shared ownership of the community was a really important lesson for me in the spring. Mm -hmm. And one that continuously is resonating with me personally and professionally is the idea of pausing, mm -hmm. being in the moment, letting things pass and come without judgment and moving forward. So that's one really major challenge. The other challenge I would say as a team, um, particularly for the read podcast and for my role now in, in, in the Windward Institute is thinking about how we're going to share information based on a dynamic, changing, uncertain environment. So mm -hmm. in April, I had had another episode planned um, for the read podcast and I stopped, I paused and I said, this isn't the information that's needed right now. And instead I had to re regroup and ended up um, interviewing an expert from Child Mind Institute in New York on ways for parents to really help mm -hmm. navigate um, anxiety during the COVID-19 pandemic. That so, was a really good episode, by the way. Mm -hmm. I remember yeah, listening Dr. to Dr. Rachel Bussman, she's yep. incredible. She'll, um, is uh, actually is going to be uh, lecturing at the, when, you know, lecturing at my school in October 
and still and talking about anxiety and bravery. So mm -hmm. every time I hear from her, I mean, she's gives such amazing information. And one of the things that she did say was really interesting is that we're already cultivating this and teachers are already cultivating a sense of belonging by just being there and being with their students. And that mm -hmm. gave me such a sense of clarity of just reassurance of that I was trying my best and doing, we were all doing the hard things together. Um, and then, you know, back to the, the challenge itself uh, and other challenges is really thinking about what people wanted to hear, what people really needed to learn mm -hmm. um, and, you know, how we access parents, kids, families in a lot of different contexts. So one of the goals of, the, of Reed was to make sure that I was leveraging that and giving that information and insight. Um, and the other thing I would say is thinking about COVID and thinking about the global literacy crisis that we were in prior to COVID and how it's mm -hmm. exacerbated, sometimes that can be really overwhelming. So one of the things that for me is just focusing on is, is thinking about those micro communities that we could access itself. Um, and if, if everyone can do a little bit, then we could really think about solving the problem as opposed to just thinking, okay, you know, UNESCO said that 770 million adults are illiterate right now. And it's like, well, what do we do with that? Yeah. Um, so it's really just thinking about how do we do that little bit to mm -hmm. solve that challenge um, and contribute just a little more to equity and access and social justice. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's some of these statistics and, and problems we're facing are so huge and so longstanding that it's it can be so overwhelming to think about how do I even contribute, right? Um, I wondered, um, I feel like as educators, we often are really good at, at sharing with our students and talking with our students about how to navigate X, Y, and Z, and yet we don't always internalize X, Y, and Z. And I know you well enough to know that you are, and you admitted to it, you're, a, you're on the fast track, like you're moving, you're always moving. We, we talked about earlier where in the world is Danielle's because you're always moving. And so I wonder... Have you been able to internalize this pause and slow down? I mean, are you seeing change in yourself or has that sort of stuck with you from the spring now? That's a great question. I would say it depends on the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. The when um, COVID first hit, I was meditating upwards of three times a day because I couldn't move. Mm -hmm. And um, there is a book called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And mm -hmm. one of the things that she talks about in the book that really resonated with me was that when she was um, in the midst of her movement and really running away from her problems, she felt like she was a snow globe, shaking it up and watching the flurries of the snow really fill mm -hmm. up the snow globe itself. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's me. <laughs> oh my gosh, what do I do with it? Yeah. She also talks about the knowing. And so mm -hmm the way that you get to knowing is you really sit with yourself. Mm -hmm. um, if any of my friends do listen to this, they'll say, but what about that time last month that you were <laughs> running around like a crazy person? But um, <laughs> no, I think it's, it's, I will say back to being a lifelong learner, it's mm -hmm. definitely a process. Um, it's one that I'm very much more intentional about and communicating about, whether it's professionally, whether it's in the communities um, and obviously being modeling it with students as well. So we, it's a process, but I was, I, I'm happy to say that it's one that has, I've, I have been most proud of in terms of reflecting on the, the growth that's been happening over the past six months. Nice. And even if you only do it 
once a month, that's maybe one more time a month than you used to do it. So you got to like, as Brianne always reminds us, you got to have that sort of assets based approach to this stuff, right, Brianne? She's always reminding me of that. So (laughs) sometimes it's not just sitting, like you could be meditating while walking. There you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that you talked about glitter. So once again, as you're talking, I'm in my Audible account. Um, I'm like, gosh, I heard this glitter metaphor somewhere. Lisa Damore is um, a psychologist who writes a lot about raising girls and she is wonderful. I really like her work. And I, I heard her speak one time and she was talking about the fact that she hates glitter, hates it. She actually calls it the STD of crafts because she thinks it's so <laughs> repulsive. Um, but she was talking about how when we get all amped up, basically, it's like a jar, like a snow globe, you know, shaking with glitter and that the first thing you need to do is settle the glitter and then kind of move, then you can move forward and then you can do whatever the next thing is. Um, mm-hmm. And that resonated with me. So it kind of brought that back. Yeah. Glitter's getting, glitter's getting a bad rap because the other, the thing I thought about when I heard glitter is I heard a public health person talk about trying to understand what COVID was and they showed a picture of someone working with glitter and then the person putting their hand on somebody else and then bumping into somebody else. And then they showed how just no matter what you do after you play with glitter, everybody has it all over them. And so she was sharing like, this is serious, like how you transmit this. So anyway, that's, that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about glitter. So poor glitter has a bad rap now. (laughs) (laughs) We wanted to ask, and I think you addressed this, but I'm actually going to put a twist on the question. So um, kind of how you've overcome and managed the challenges. I think you did a nice job talking us through that a little bit. As you were speaking before about this idea of your kids not feeling good enough um, in, that, in that great class that you had, what came to mind is that teachers right now might not feel good enough. Mm. And I wonder what you would say to teachers as we try to kind of figure this out. And um, as one in you know, my daughter's school saying, just teaching an old dog new tricks, like how do we do this? And in my mind, it, was, it sort of came back to core values. Like we teachers have a set of skills and we we have to modify those. So what do you think? What would we do with teachers who don't feel good enough right now? That's a great question. And it's never lost on me the, just the amount of work that teachers do every day in and out for their students. I, to be honest and completely vulnerable, um, I left the classroom in the uh, last year, this past year was my last year and I'm now in a full-time administrative position and the vulnerable part about it that's not the vulnerable part the vulnerable part about it is that i felt a little bit of guilt going into the school year Mm -hmm. truthfully thinking i'm not in it with my colleagues i'm not there to support and i'm also working remotely so the level of loneliness was an interesting um, challenge that i had to deal with Um, but to your question i have colleagues and you know um not just at my school, but in general and thinking about the amount of work that teachers are putting in right now is just insurmountable. And, you know, one of the things it about really thinking about the, what educators can do is, yes, you can say, let's go back to our core values that we're all learning together and we're all doing hard things together. And at some point, it has to be the onus and responsibility of the system itself, the school leaders, district leaders, policymakers, everyone has to have that shared mission to ensure that teachers are universally getting their resources. Mm -hmm. And um, when I look at 
education spaces now, when I looked at districts, when I speak to experts, um, I spoke to Dr. Julie Washington in um, August, and she was on the Read podcast, and she was talking about just the inequities widespread through our system. And I think about that teacher in an under-resourced school, rural, urban, maybe under-resourced schools in certain suburban areas too, that are working day in and day out to manage teaching. Let's add roles as parents. Let's add roles as caretakers for their <clears throat> parents. Let's add role after role after role. And it's like, what are we doing as a society to ensure that teachers are getting the resources that they so need? And it's professional development. It's access to technology. It's making sure that their plate isn't overflowing. You know, you're trying to fit an appetizer, the main course, the dessert, that's not even that great because it's so stressful. Yeah. Um, and everything else under one small plate, how do we manage that? So um, to me, it, it's twofold. Again, ensure, reminding teachers that they're doing enough no matter what, that we're mm -hmm. all doing this hard things together. Glennon Doyle, back to Glennon Doyle always says, we can do hard things together and we truthfully can, as long as we're ensuring that we're providing the resources and the support that's needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Brene Brown likes to remind us that when you wake up in the morning or when you go to bed, it doesn't matter what your to-do list looks like, you're just enough right mm -hmm. just being awake so yeah. so i think it sounds like yeah, go ahead oh sorry i just had one one last yeah. thing just to circle back to what you said before about sort of this reassurance in, in your presence and in teachers presence with their students mm -hmm. and maybe that's enough sometimes and you know just kind of walking through this together and stopping and laughing and having a moment and connecting yeah yeah that's what i was thinking about brianne is just I, I definitely agree with the resource piece, and I feel very privileged to be in a place where the resources aren't always the issue, right? Mm -hmm. And I've I've worked really hard this past couple of weeks whenever I've had to communicate with my kids' teachers to first say thank you or to notice something that they've done well, because I just don't think we're giving them a lot of gratitude right now because it's mm -hmm. just hard for everybody. So um, yeah, so thanks for sharing that. And I think it's appropriate that we circle back um to that first question but maybe you know put a spin on it as brand brianne mentioned earlier and that is you know you shared earlier about this idea of individual and collective belonging and speaking your truth and finding those spaces where you really and these are my words i'm, I'm interpreting you really can be seen for who you are and so i'm wondering as you've moved through and continue to move through this pandemic has has your sense of belonging or your understanding of belonging shifted, changed, been added to in any sort of way that you could share? The answer, the simple answer is yes. And <laughs> yes, but I want more than a yes. So. I know, I know, absolutely. <laughs> it was a bad, bad question stem, so. <laughs> the answer is yes. Um, I will say that I um, have never been so appreciative of the amount of, uh, the level of belonging that I feel mm. in professionally and personally. Um, in my current organization, I, I, I feel very valued in what I bring to the table. And personally, I've come to really appreciate the networks of um, friends and family that have ensured that I continuously feel like a sense of belonging. Mm. And with that being said, over the past couple of months, I've noticed both the possibility and the limitations and privilege of belonging. And I did talk about privilege with belonging, but I do think that it's one that we as educators, 
as leaders in many different spaces need to ensure that everyone has this equity of opportunity for belonging to be seen, mm -hmm. valued, and heard. And I was so lucky to be in um, the multicultural education class in the summer because I was able to really make those connections to right now. And one of the things that constantly I come, I, I'm drawn back to is how our institutions may shape experiences of belonging and what that really means for certain people. Mm. Um, so it's really just, you know, um, perhaps, you know, thinking back to COVID, the COVID pandemic, perhaps it's not really belonging, but it's really understanding what the collective can bring to the table and maybe it's collective vulnerability, collective suffering, mm. but what does that really mean? And how do we really ensure that children are accessing the sense of belonging? Um, because it is inherent to education and learning. Mm -hmm. um, I, I could quote or really go back to a number of research and a lot of research that I've, I've read in terms of belonging and education and it's fundamental. Mm -hmm. You know, Absolutely. a child needs to feel like they belong in the school, that they have that shared relationship, that yeah. collective ownership. So there are a lot of different thoughts that I've had about belonging um, in this pandemic, but um, I think it's just inherent to the classroom experience. And I will say, um, I will just, I'll end with that and see what, right. what comes up with that. <laughs> that, that. That's a good way to end. And I say, I will say, I'm glad to hear that you're feeling a continued sense of belonging in, in your spaces. And I, I suspect that your own feelings of belonging then translate into everyone that you touch, which is amazing too, right? If you're feeling good in, in your own individual belonging, that just contributes really positively to the collective belonging. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also grateful that you brought up this notion of privilege and really, you know, thinking through, you know, what belonging looks like for different kids and different teachers and leaders who are of, you know, different skin color, different sexual orientation, because we know from the research for sure that we don't experience belonging. Similarly, just like we don't experience the pandemic. Similarly, we're, yeah. we're in this thing, but how we take it in and absorb it is different depending on where we sit and our positionality. So I, I appreciate that reminder. And so, yeah, that's never lost on me. The narrative that plays on belonging is never lost and constantly always thinking about it. So yeah, that's well, your students are lucky to have you for sure. So, and, and we are lucky that you were willing to take some time out of your very busy schedule and pause and talk to us about belonging and your uh, triumphs and challenges in the pandemic. And hopefully we can talk you into maybe coming back later in the winter when I'm crossing my fingers, people can't see it. Maybe you can hear it, probably not. When the pandemic is past us maybe, or I don't know, Brianne's not giving me a positive. <laughs> I'm being hopeful, everybody. So even so, we would love to have you come back and talk to us about how things are going and, and what you've learned since then. So, so until next time, Danielle, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you both. This was amazing. And my answer is yes, I would love to come back and talk. Awesome. So thank you very awesome. much. Great. Thanks so much, Danielle and Brianne. Take care. Welcome back to
to episode nine of season two. And Brianna and I hope you enjoyed the interview with Danielle Scarano. I know we definitely enjoyed speaking with her, as I'm sure you heard. And hopefully, um, well, she already agreed that she would come back maybe later in the winter to give us a recap on update on how she's doing. So, Brianna, I don't know about you, but there was a lot in this episode, as in most of our interviews. And I, as I was thinking about, you know, literature to pick, you know, as we always do with, with sort of connecting the research, I was trying to figure out, you know, where to, where to focus my attention because there were so many uh, great nuggets that Danielle shared. But what I really honed in on and really appreciated and I've actually felt myself is this idea of slowing down, right? Mm -hmm. to, yeah. To hit, to hit the pause button. Um, and I know in your work with your students and even thinking about, you know, syllabi, how to approach courses, I feel like we've done this in lots of different ways, right? Um, stripping down our courses a little bit and really focusing on what's important. And I know you also spend time with your students, maybe in ways that you didn't, you know, when you were face to face. Um, so I don't know if that resonated with you as well, this idea of slowing down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, of course, was this, what she mentioned, which I loved, and it really um, connects to this learner identity is just continuing to learn and listen to her students. So this process of slowing down, it just allowed her and allows us as educators and leaders and facilitators to really make sure that the time we spend with each other is productive and valuable and, and contributes in some positive way. Um, so if I focus in on that sort of hitting the pause button and slowing down, and there's lots that have been written about sort of, you know, uh, going, going slow to go fast and slowing down to speed up. I mean, there's, you know, lots of written. What I found was um, there's a Harvard Business Review article in 2010 written by Davis, uh, Davis and Atkinson. And I'll tell you, Brianne, one of the reasons I picked this article is I've been, and this is going to be a little bit of a... Um, you know, divergence, but I think it's important. What I remembered is not everybody who listens to our podcast has access to a university library. And so I think it's really important that as we're sharing research that we try also to bring articles that everybody can access. Um, mm -hmm. And so this is a Harvard Business Review article and I know Harvard Business Review requires a subscription, but I think because it's an older one, I actually was able to get it just publicly um, through Google. So it'll definitely be available if folks are interested. And in this article, they talk about this idea of um, speed and pace of businesses. And what they say is that what, what um, organizations often do is they, mis they mistakenly increase the pace of production, right? Thinking that this is a way to sort of fill the gap and catch up to the competition or beat the competition. But what the literature suggests and what their studies suggested was that actually companies that increased the pace of production, what they called operational speed, actually led to decreased value over time and decreased quality of the products and services. And what they argued for, and they had this really nice, I'm all about visuals, um, especially when it's in a discipline that I don't always understand, like looking yeah. at picture. Um, they talked about being strategically fast is actually slowing down. And they provided a lot of um, examples of what that meant to them. So they talked about things like that leadership is aligned and committed to the success, whatever the, you know, the task of success, how that's defined. 
um, switching and adjusting responsibilities to make it easier. So, you know, someone taking on a piece of this task or this part of the project and not being so um, uh, committed to the old structures, right? Like being willing to sort of move and, and, and adapt as needed. Having regular team reviews, um, what I would almost call in the ed space, formative assessments, like doing regular check-ins with each other, capture and communicate and learn um, from that feedback they're giving. Um, the other thing they said, which I think we talk about a lot, Brianne, is this idea that success is actually in the exploration, the experimentation, right? The success isn't just the outcome, but the process through which or by which you, you, you achieve that task. Um, obviously creating something out of it, whether it's a product or service. And the last one that I really loved is experienced employees also receive training when new initiatives are launched. And I love that one, Brianne, because um, we've, been we've been thinking so much about onboarding lately, right? This idea that when sort of something new happens and we're transitioning ourselves or a group of students into something, what it reminded me of is, you know, even experienced employees need onboarding. It's just onboarding for a new project. Um, yeah, that reminds me of Paula, uh, what we talked about with Paula Clark that day. Yeah, totally, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Paula, if you remember, Dr. Clark, Paula Clark talked about sort of belonging and this sort of dynamic approach to change. Yeah. So the question is, um, you know, this idea of strategically fast slowing down, really, right? So this is really a, a sort of businessy context. So as I thought about this article, I wanted to bring it back to a classroom. And I know our, our audience, you know, classroom is defined very broadly, like for, you know, Lisa Cerise, it's, it's in her at the Y or in her home <laughs> yeah. office sort of doing the, the exercise routines and fit health, fitness, uh, you know, wellness um, activities. So, so it's different for everybody. It could be um, a meeting room, not just a classroom or right now, gosh, it's on Zoom. Um, but if we think about those attributes that these authors mentioned about slowing down and we compare it to a classroom, I came up with a few things. So this idea of alignment and commitment to purpose. Well, Brianne, I feel like you and I have talked a lot about when the pandemic hit, we went back to what, what, why are we doing this activity? Like, what is this assignment about? And like, when you were thinking about, I remember, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about it if you'd like, when you talked about that, doing the final exam with your students and having to figure out how to do this thing mm -hmm. yeah. virtually, right? And so I feel like you also asked yourself questions about, well, what's the purpose? Like, what do I really want, um, want them to get out of it? Um, the next one that the, the authors talk about was this idea of shifting responsibilities. Well, gosh, I feel like that's happened in all sorts of ways in education. I mean, I see it in my kids' schools where Teachers are team teaching, math teachers are joining with ELE teachers, you know, principals are jumping in when needed, um, IT people are supporting, and in higher ed it's happening too, like we're taking on things together. I know you, you have some, you know, faculty groups that put their heads together and think about um, how to use IT, so I thought, you know, that was a really good example. Mm -hmm. And of course the the reviewing and learning and experimenting, that's all, <laughs> I feel like that's all right in our wheelhouse, right? Like, yeah. um, I mean, you were, you just emailed me uh, yesterday about how you check in with your students really regularly. Like, I would love for you to share what you did yesterday because that was such a powerful little prompt that you used. 
Yeah, sure. So yesterday, um, I don't know, I was just getting the vibe that students, <laughs> things were, were off. So I always start my Zoom classes with a chat check-in. And yep. so I just ask them to open the chat and I sometimes will ask them at your suggestion, actually from the podcast, what are you watching on Netflix? That was one that came up. So um, I did that. Last week I said, think back to middle school, what movies and things did you watch to get suggestions for my own kids? Just yeah. kind of a fun conversation starter. Yeah. And this week I said, um, I'd like you to fill in this sentence stem. And I just typed in the chat, this week is dot, dot, dot. And oh my gosh, <laughs> the answers were um, stressful, overwhelming, anxiety inducing, horrible, long, the longest week ever, 10,000 days long. Um, I think the best one was bearable. I think that was <laughs> like the most positive um, across all of the students. So I mean, how can you just say, okay, good, and then move on from that? I mean, you have to address this. And the stresses were different for different students. The seniors are really stressed because of this course that they were hoping was gonna offer uh, or be run was, was not. And so they had to just sort of shift plans for that, which they thought might impact graduate school. So that was a big stress. And underclassmen, it, it was really mostly just midterms and honestly kind of losing steam and losing motivation around online learning. I think, if there was appeal to it that that's gone um yeah. like the novelty of it has worn off yes. and they're just really honest about the fact that it's hard to engage and hard to do the work and they have a lot of work and it's midterms and so we're, we're right in that like messy middle of the semester where there's no way out yet like yeah. december is a long way off um yeah absolutely and i get it and i think we feel that as faculty and i shared that with them and i you know we had a conversation about kind of the big stressors and specifically with the seniors, we spent some time talking about the course and what um, we are doing to help them with that problem. And they really appreciated it to the point where last night we had a, another meeting with seniors to touch base about graduate school. And one of them interrupted in the middle and she said, I just have to tell you that I was on an open house for a, gra a different graduate program, not ours. And she said, I felt like unfaithful thinking about going to a program <laughs> away from you all because it's so uh -huh. clear that you care about us so much and yeah like how could I even consider leaving this this environment so that was really nice to hear I think they appreciate awesome. the work um yeah. they definitely appreciate the fact that we are slowing down yeah. I mean when you were talking about that this today I'm thinking this is so relevant to this week yeah and um you know I mean similar to what had happened in March I found that when we talked about the course this chemistry course we gave it some time we probably gave it 10 minutes and then we dug in and we talked about neuro and it was a great conversation and they, they were right there with me and yeah. i just i firmly believe that if we had not gone there in the beginning they would have been unable to attend to yeah. it because we have to look at that urgent concern first and then yeah on. and that's it i mean i loved what you said you know it's so often, I think many people do icebreakers, like that's sort of whether you're face-to-face -face or online, we all do icebreakers. But I think what I heard you say, which is different than some people is, well, how can I, how can I sort of just go on now, right? Like you, you, you attended to what they were saying. And I think hitting the pause button and slowing down and being willing to eat into your class time to have that conversation um, is critical. And I think that's what, I heard Danielle continue to say is that you just have to be in that moment. It, you know, you may not get through your entire lesson plan. You may not get through the entire meeting agenda, but it matters. And in the long run, you know, as the, the researchers reminded us, if you want higher quality 
products and services and experiences, you've got to take that time and slow down. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I don't think that that student would have said I. I feel terribly guilty about even considering other programs if all we did was rush through the content. I don't think yeah. she would say, well, I'm, I'm super ready. I think, you know, she didn't talk about that at all. That's inherent. Like yeah. we talked about that. You assume that the subject matter expertise is going to be there. They assume they're going to be taught the content. Yeah. That's not what's really making the difference. I think it's the care for yeah. the students. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I would agree. So, so I thought this, you know, article, even though it's situated in a, you know, very businessy sort of, journal um, or publication, it felt very relevant and I, I felt like I was able to draw some parallels to education space and other organizations. So I hope as our listeners maybe pick up this article or just listen to the podcast, they'll also be able to draw some connections. And I think it's a good reminder that, you know, this pandemic makes us feel like we're rushed and hurried and there's so much on our plates and yet we need to slow down and we need to pause. And so, um, you know, the pandemic, you know, we've never been here. It's messy and it's new. And in my view, that's all the more reason to slow down. We don't have a toolkit from which we can pull. We have experiences, but even those experiences are different. Um, and Danielle did such a good job of reminding us to stay true to our core, our purpose. Um, so if you're a teacher, if you're a business person in a new setting, just don't forget your mission and purpose. Don't let the technology sort of disrupt you so much that it takes you off that course. Be open to change, experiment, to check in early and often. And I know in real estate, they say location, location, location. So in education, I say learn, learn, and keep learning. Um, you know, work as Bre uh, Brene Brown says to us, you know, work to get it right. Um, you know, not to be right. So we don't want to plow through just to be right. And uh, I read this, I'm reading this book, and I know I said it, I, I shared with our audience, um, Untamed. And Glennon Doyle quotes Maya Angelou in the book. And um, she says, uh, Maya Angelou says, do the best you can until you know better, then when you know better, do better. I don't think there's anything. Mic drop. I, can, I, know, <laughs> no, I don't think there's anything okay. I can add to what Maya Angelou said. So nope. I am gonna I'm gonna call it an episode right there, Brianne. I'm gonna thank our listeners for taking time out of their day to tune into episode nine with Danielle. It was a pleasure to speak with her. And I hope everybody has a great rest of the week. And I hope you stay safe and your you and your uh, family are well. So thanks, Brianne. Always a pleasure. Slow yep, thanks. Down gravity, so sincere. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com 
forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.